Good morning, everybody, and welcome to From the Deep End today. Very good to be with you, of course. My name is uh, Jonathan Jenkins. We are here every Monday through Thursday um, at 8 a.m. Eastern, uh, and it is my pleasure to join you again at that time. Um, today, we are going to do what we normally do here on From the Deep End. We're going to spend the first hour of the program just talking about your Bible questions, so anything that you might uh, have in your on your mind, uh, feel free to uh, go ahead and pop that into the comment section, and we will uh, attend to those things as we have uh, opportunity throughout the first hour of the program. In the second hour of the program, something monumental is going to happen, and that is we are going to finish up. We are going to conclude. I need another synonym for that. We, we are going to wrap up uh, our, what is, it's now almost the end of May. We started it at the 1st of September. So September, October, November, December, January. Ten months, basically, uh, study of the Book of Romans. Uh, and we should get through Chapter 16, hopefully, all today. I've been promising we're going to finish it up. Now I kind of feel obligated to. Um, but I think I can get through 16 in, in, um, in one session because we're going to read through all that list of names. And other than about two or three of them, I'm going to tell you I don't know anything about that person. I don't know anything about that person uh, because we don't know anything about a lot of the people in Romans 16, but uh, we will wrap up our, our study of Romans 16 today. And it has been such an enjoyable time. That's something I have always wanted to do. And uh, now thanks to what we do here at digital Bible study and the time that we have that we can spend together. I finally, uh, finally got to do it. Finally got to um, uh, do the kind of study I've always wanted to do on that book. And I have, I have been greatly uh, challenged by it and uh, uh, enriched by it. I hope you have as well. But we will be finishing that up here uh, in the second hour of the program. But we're not there yet. We're still in the first hour of the program. So uh, it's yours. You tell us the direction we want to go today. You let me know what's going on in your mind. Uh, we will attend to those comments or questions if you have any. Uh, if not, I'll just go off on my own path um, and we'll go from there. Could be dangerous when I go off on my own path, though. So be careful with that. Um, so this week on here on Digital Bible Study, got a good, good lineup in place. Um, uh, we've got uh, tonight. Uh, ben Phillips will be with us. Ben is. Um, but we had a. Uh, we have, was Glenn Hitchcock on Friday? I think Glenn was Friday. Um, no, who was Friday? Joshua Cantrell was Friday uh, last week. I think maybe Glenn Hitchcock was maybe Thursday. No, couldn't be Thursday because that was Robbie Eversol. Glenn was maybe, it was Monday. Glenn was Monday of last week. That's when Glenn was. Um, ben Phillips is actually a preacher where um, um, Glenn Hitchcock is uh, serves as an elder for that congregation. So Ben will be on with us uh, tonight. We've had him one or two times, I think, uh, but we're going to have him back here tonight uh, and uh, be enriched by uh, his presence. Uh, Mornay Stephanus is with us on um, Tuesday night. Um, well, Thursday night would be Greg, and I don't, I don't remember who Friday night it is off the top of my head, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me. But uh, we're going to have a good week here on Digital Bible Study. Um, I think we've got a full lineup, except for, I guess I need to tell you all this, um, I'm not going to be here uh, this coming Thursday. Um, Julie has another infusion treatment up in, uh, in Jacksonville there at the Mayo Clinic, and she needs me to... Uh, uh, help transport her there and back. Um, and so I will be going with her on Thursday. Should be back in time for uh, 
uh, the Connect session on Thursday evening. Uh, Christine is asking, is Eric back this week? Uh, partially. Uh, he is back on Monday and Tuesday of this week. Um, and then he will be on the road again second half of the week. Eric has uh, been a little bit busy uh, lately. And um, so we're fortunate to get him when we can. But I believe he should be here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Unless something comes up, he should be here uh, both um, Monday and uh, Tuesday of this week for the Connect session. Um, so that's where we uh, stand on that. Um, so let's turn our attention to, to uh, um, the first hour and our content here for the first hour of the program for the week. Um, I am not seeing currently any, I have lots of comments, but I don't see, I'm seeing any, um, let me scroll through here real quick. I don't think I'm seeing anything that is directed to me by way of a Bible question as of yet. Uh, here, let me just keep going through it. Several comments about the Roman study. Um, and I'm glad y'all have enjoyed it because I know, um, I know that I have very much as well. Um, but, um, yeah, do, do appreciate y'all, um, uh, participating in that the way that you have, um, you know, my, um, um, my view on those, some of those things in the book of Romans is not, um, um, a hundred hundred percent in line with, uh, uh, standard views on the book. So, uh, keep that in mind, by the way, when you, when you go back and maybe re-listen to some of those studies, if you do, um, um, Sometimes it, you may not understand, but anyway, just, just keep that in mind. Um, do have a question here now from Melissa. Second uh, Chronicles 2930. Uh, does that parallel us being high priest and us all seeing? I don't have that one off the top of my head, Christine. I'm going to have to look that up with everybody along on the air. Uh, for some reason, for some reason, I do not have... The ninth chapter of Second Chronicles memorized on my brain. That, that one, <laughs> that that one's gotten past me. Uh, although I do know some guys that probably do have that kind of stuff memorized on their brain. Uh, let's see, Second Chronicles chapter twenty nine thirty. Um, um, this is during the reign of Hezekiah, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um. And during the reign of Hezekiah, there is a renewal of the temple worship um, that um, was long needed, uh, happens in the time of Hezekiah, uh, also happens again during the time of Josiah uh, by, by way of um, um, response to that. Um, but you're reestablishing the worship properly in the, in the, in the temple. Uh, and we start in verse 25, just because that's a nice little paragraph break right there. We want to get the context of something. Uh, he stationed Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, uh, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through the prophets. Uh, the Levites stood with instruments of David and the priest and the trumpets. Uh, then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. When the burnt offering was offered, uh, the Lord, the song rather, uh, sung to the Lord began also. The trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. Uh, the whole assembly worshiped and the singers sang um, and the trumpeters shouted all this continued until the burnt offering was finished uh, when the offering was finished the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped and hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the levites to sing praises to the lord with the words of david and of ace of the seer uh, and they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshiped um, 
the question I think you have here is, is that an example of, of the worship of the saints and so on? Um, uh, you use the word in your, in your question there, Melissa, parallel. Um, and um, by using the word parallel, I can probably go along with it. Um, I, I would have a, a more, I'd have a stronger hesitation, um, a more pronounced hesitation, maybe a better way of saying that. If, if you use the, um, uh, you know, it, it may be the word example or type or anti-type or something of that nature. Um, because, well, it wouldn't be really be a type, anti-type relationship, but an example. Um, because you, it'd, it'd be tough to pull out just, um, um, one part of that. And so within the context here, if you're going to be pulling out verse 30 and that the whole assembly there is worshiping and so on and say that is some kind of binding example of how congregational worship or, or that is supposed to be done, um, well, you're going to follow. You're going to you're going to come across the problem of James, which if a man is guilty of one point of the law, he's guilty of all. Or you're going to come across Paul in, in Galatians chapter five, talking about if you seek to be uh, under one point of the law, i.e., circumcision, you're going to need to be under it all. Um, and this also then very clearly states that they they were accompanied with a variety of different instrument instruments of music, which of course would be. Um, uh, you know, somewhat problematic in terms of understanding worship inside the New Testament. Um, uh, and so I would, it, it's, it's, it's a parallel structure in that the priest of God are here in the temple worshiping as the temple worship is, is, um, is um, um, reconstituted. Um, so um, that, that, yes, I, I see the parallel there. And if that's not a bad, um, um, a bad, um, a you know a bad parallel to draw. I don't mind that at all. Um, let me broaden your question a little bit and deal with the the instruments here because this is a uh, one uh, one of a couple of passages that people will go to to try and talk about the authorization of the instrument of music in, in New Testament worship, and they will make the point that these instruments are here in temple worship um, by the by the command of David, uh, who did it by the command of of the Lord. Um, and, uh, what you have here is, is both of those things stated in verse number 25, it's done by the commandment of David. Uh, and it's then also done by the commandment of the Lord, because you have Gad and Nathan, uh, two of the prophets that attended to David, uh, also there participating in it. Um, and so, you know, what you have here, I don't see any way around the idea that as temple worship developed in the time of David and then was subsequently, you know, um, well restored in the time of Hezekiah and then others, uh, that the, the instrument of music was apparently used uh, in temple worship, which is fine. If it's used in temple worship, it's used in temple worship. That has nothing to do with whether or not it's used in the church. That's just the fact, you know, that I have seen guys try to get around this, that this was just a something that God permitted, that David commanded. And... I've seen guys try to deal with that in in some creative ways, but frankly, I've never spent a whole lot of energy trying to uh, figure out the nuance of that argumentation because I don't really care. Uh, it, it, it's whether or not David is with the endorsement of God commanding that the instrument is used in temple worship, like as I said, has nothing to do with with its use inside of uh, inside of um, uh, the worship of the Lord's church. Um, 
no one who has properly argued about the the restriction of instrumental music instrumental music inside the worship of the assembly nobody who has argued that properly says has ever said that i know of uh that god uh has an intrinsic uh um um disdain dislike for instruments of music that's not the point the point we make is that when you turn to the new testament they aren't mentioned there's no authorization for them anywhere in the new testament um you know it's just not there the closest you can get is the worship in heaven uh of Re- revelation chapter 14 which i believe is is it harps i think in revelation 14 uh 14 verses 1 and 2 i believe it is uh where where they are included there but um first of all that's a metaphorical book because i'm pretty sure there are no physical harps in heaven that would be that would be an oddity that would be an oddity and again we're not in heaven the case that we're making is not that you can't worship on a harp in heaven. The case that we're making and we have always made is that passages like Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and the other, you know, almost dozen verses in the New Testament that deal with the with, that deal with singing of the early saints. There's never a mention of the instrument of music uh, anywhere to be found <clears throat> uh, to, to be found in um, in that spot. So, um, so to me, it's not one that um, is um all that particularly um 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 <clears throat> that were that not all that particularly uh, um you know compelling to me um so so the, the the old testament arguments just don't even bother me i know people have done a lot more work on it than i have but i just it's not even one i've ever really it's a separate covenant I don't, they did a whole bunch of stuff under the Old Testament that we don't do today and that nobody would suggest that we would do today. So uh, in terms of making this a binding verse pulling forward, I would be very hesitant to do it because that's not how you make use of the Old Testament. Um, You know, I just, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago on on a slightly different topic, which was, um, um, I was making, making an example about modesty. And I saw back uh, a little bit earlier in the year, as, as, as temperatures started to go up a little bit, I saw um, several people posting a, a meme on, on social media that had um, images of, you know, almost not cartoon images, but those silhouetted images of people <clears throat> dressed in a ver- variety of clothing and, and so on. And beside them, they were connected different uh, Old Testament passages and the like. Um, and they were trying to use Old Testament uh, references to establish what God considers to be modest and what God doesn't consider to be modest. Okay, so when you go, say, to the priestly clothing and you establish what the priestly clothing was and you transfer that into to modern styles, um, all that you have done, all that you have done is, is, is to prove what God considered to be appropriate clothing for priests under the Old Testament. That's all that you've done. You do not use the Old Testament to try and do that to the New Testament. That's that's not the use of the Old Testament. That's just bad hermeneutics. That's bad exposition. And just because you're exercising bad hermeneutical principles doesn't mean that I need to craft an argu- argument to answer your pro- answer your argument. You're just making a bad argument. It's just bad hermeneutics. Okay. And I I, I I'm not really just don't feel like expending a lot of mental energy trying to figure out an answer to your your question when it's just bad hermeneutical principle to start with. Bad hermeneutics never results in good argumentation. 
It just doesn't. And so that that's that's why I don't really have a, a stronger answer on some of these questions. I mean, it that does it does it matter whether David commanded or the Lord commanded it? No, not one bit, because that has no bearing on whether or not it get transfers to the New Testament. So uh, to back to your circle, back to your question here, Melissa. By using the word parallel, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, because that suggests to me that, that there's a there's a there, there's an image here. There, there might be a conceptual connection that when the worship of God is done properly, all of the people of God who are authorized to, to engage in that worship engage in that worship collectively. Yes, that that principle, that 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 imagery would seem to be consistent in both covenants. Because I believe I can establish that in the old covenant. I believe I can establish that in the new covenant. Uh, you know, in the new in the new covenant, New Testament, it's all this one another language that you'll find over and over and over again in the New Testament. That's exactly what you've got back here in Second Chronicles twenty nine. Um, and that that consistency of imagery of of principle that I can live with. Now, if you try to tell me this was some kind of binding example, well, then we've got that whole discussion I just went through that I'd have a lot more. Um, um, uh, a lot more issue with. Um, but anyway, hopefully that's at least helpful. I, say, I see you mentioned that Paul Mays uh, uh, mentioned it. Hopefully Paul and I didn't <laughs> disagree with each other too much. Uh, but uh, I think uh, hopefully we'll be okay with each other there. Uh, Johnny asked, what is the long-term plan for Digital Connect with pandemic changing? Will it continue regardless? Um, it will continue for as long as Eric and I are able to do it. Uh, and frankly, as long as y'all help keep, keep supporting it, because we do have expenses that neither of us can handle just on our own. Um, now, um, I haven't said a lot about it, um, but I am actually being considered for the, uh, the pulpit. You know, I, I, we mentioned the, um, um, the, um, uh, the preacher where I attend worship, uh, at the Rockley congregation passed from COVID back in, um, August or I think it was about August of last year or so. Um, and uh, Rockledge has been looking for a uh, somebody to fill the pulpit. Um, if if I end up, I'm being considered for that, we should know, or I should know something probably by the end of the month. Um, if if I actually end up accepting that work, if, well, if it's offered and then I accept it, um, that is going to change my schedule greatly. Um, and with Eric's schedule right now, if my schedule on the evening also gets more complicated, we're, we might have to make some adjustments. Um, and probably what we do, the simplest thing what we do is just hire somebody to come in, you know, grab another partner and hey, let's get three guys to help host connect. And we just go from there. Okay. Um, so some of those things could impact what digital Bible study looks like. But um, other than still some, I think there's still some, funniness going on with Facebook. Our numbers are just weird on Facebook for the last four, three, four months. Um, and I'm not, I'm not real pleased with Facebook lately. Um, if, if, if I could go back and restart this entire thing from scratch, we would not be, we would not be streaming on Facebook at all. We'd be streaming completely on YouTube. Uh, because we, um, we divide our audience and, um, on two platforms and by dividing the audience on two platforms, we, we, our, our, our audience is not large enough to divide it into two parts and then have all invite, take all of our viewerships, all of our numbers and, and, and put them on two different platforms and cut, cut, you know, from Facebook's perspective, 
our audience is basically half the size that it is. From YouTube's perspective, our, our, our audience is half the size of YouTube, that, that it actually is rather. Um, and we would do better on a single platform with one link that everybody could go to, um, my personal opinion. But we're too far into it right now. I'm not going to do that. And there's always the possibility, given the things that we talk about here regularly, uh, that somebody on social media one day gets mad at us and, and having extra uh, avenues to, to uh, stream to and all of that uh, is probably a good thing. But um, uh, I can't promise you it will always look the same. But as far as long as as far as we are able to um, keep it going, uh, I, I don't know that we have any endpoint at all. We I think we both enjoy doing it. Uh, we enjoy getting to be with these preachers that are friends of ours, and and we enjoy bringing you the material. So, uh, and we we think at least from your response to it that you uh, you you find benefit in in being here and being a part of it as well. So uh, thanks for the question, Johnny. But as far as as far as we know, as far as I can see out into the future, we're going to be here. Uh, in some in some capacity, okay. Um, um, Mercy asks, is this a global concept as well as a personal concept? Oh, 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 oh maybe it's six eight. Maybe Micah six eight. When we seek justice, because um, that that's right in that section of Micah six where uh, they're asking what what does the Lord require of us, and they have all of these uh, large ask that they are doing um you know 10,000 rivers of oil the the uh where did my background just go excuse me hold on a second i just lost my well that's weird where did it go there we go um yeah it's right in that in that section what is what he has told you old man what is good what what does lord require of you to do justice love kindness and walk humbly with your god uh, i'm assuming that's what your question is there um um um, uh, mercy is that um is this a global concept as well as a personal concept um if by global you mean national as in within within the scope of israel then i, I believe th those would apply equally I, I don't know how you would separate individuals within the nation of israel uh seeking those things uh the way that the nation would seek those things well obviously would be for every individual within the nation to seek those things uh, now, under the Old Testament covenant, God did bring national judgments upon individuals. Uh, there's a passage over, I believe it's Ezekiel, that'd be Ezekiel 18, where there is a promise that is given that the day will come when the proverb will no longer be said uh, that the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge, um, meaning that the fathers bit into something that was, you know, painful to eat. But the children are the ones suffering from their father's consumption of the fruit. In other words, the children are suffering from the sins of the father. And God says there's coming a time when that proverb will be not will no longer be relevant. And of course, the um, uh, relevant rather, excuse me. Of course, the time that we do that is um, uh, ultimately fulfilled in the gospel, and and so on. But um, it is the case in the Old Testament that sometimes nations were judged for the sins of nations. Uh, and sometimes innocent individuals did suffer physical consequences for other people's sins. That happened because God was dealing with nations. Um, but it's still the still basic truth is there, obviously, that um, um, what God required of people is what God required of the individual. Now, if by global what you meant is, again, across the scope of Scripture, 
you know, from from the early days of the the patriarchs to the to the time of the the law of Moses and to the time of Christ and so on. Um, does this principle is this principle valid throughout the entire time? And I think it is. I think you can see that established um, fairly well in in pretty much every segment of Scripture. There is a verse that that goes along these lines. Um, you know, the we well, you know, we just spent eight months, ten months studying the Book of Romans together. Um, and you know, I, I remember the day I, I I had never connected Micah six to some of the passages we were talking about in Romans. And I think Stephen Ford was the one that tricked me up and got me on that. And I started using that passage. I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute. That's exactly what I've been trying to say for the last six months. So what's going on here in the book of uh, uh, Micah is very much like what is talked about throughout the book of Romans. Uh, there is two. There are two ways of faith. There are two ways of obedience in the book of Romans. There is the obedience of works, which is what verses 6 and 7 describe. Uh, burnt offerings, calves a year old, 10,000. Ram, or thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil, uh, and I give my first my firstborn for the transgression of my soul, the f- fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Okay, that's a works based salvation. That is, that is the obedience of works. But what oh he said what, what Micah says then back to them is oh man, what God has told you um, is um, um, what really matters is justice, kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Get get those things right because those things are internal things you'll get the external things right too as well so it's not you know sometimes people put this grand dichotomy in their in their bible study as if there is you know there 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 are three ways of salvation there are three three ways that salvation can be taught uh there's a workspace salvation which they they accuse uh, uh catholics teaching uh, when evangelicals look at us, members of the Churches of Christ, they'll say, "Well, you teach faith plus works," and the the evangelicals, the, those coming out of the Protestant Reformation more broadly, uh, they teach a faith only salvation, and so um, that's the one that we're told is sola scriptura, and it's 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 just it's you know it's faith only. Um, that's what we're told. Okay. Well, the problem is all three of those are wrong. All three of those are wrong. Um, faith only proponents, and they, they they trip over this all trip up over this all the time. It's amazing how often faith only proponents will say that something is necessary. Okay, uh, I, I was on a little Twitter discussion over the weekend with a with a guy. I don't know. I just he started posting about stuff about the Church of Christ. And I started. I, he he was he was posting that an eighty eight year old quote unquote Church of Christ preacher was uh, being baptized today, or actually this was Saturday, so on Sunday, yesterday, he was being baptized in a friend's church uh, because he finally realized that, that um, you know, he, he had done done wrongly or whatever. I forget how he phrased it. And so I, I, I replied back to him. So I said, okay, so with his first baptism, he denied the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And with his second baptism, he affirms it. Well, cool. Okay, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense doing exactly the same action. One time is a denial of, of, of Jesus saving you by faith, and the other time is an endorsement of Jesus saving you by faith. So my follow-up question after that was, well, wait a minute. It's Saturday night now. He's getting baptized in the morning. I'm assuming, since he has accepted a faith-only position, he's now saved. At this point in time, he's now saved. If he chooses then not to be baptized in the morning, is he still saved? 
Is it necessary? It's amazing how often faith-only people will talk about things being necessary. Okay? You can't do that. It's either faith-only or it's not. Okay? And the concept of faith plus works is invalid because that suggests they're somehow separate. They're not. And obviously works without faith, that's, that's invalid because without faith, it's impossible to please God. God doesn't have a problem here. God is very clear. You need to have faith in me and you need to obey me. Okay, there's a passage over in John, John 3. Now, the last, I believe this is the last verse of John 3. Um, what's that, 339, something like that, 340, oh, wow, 336, yeah, I, I was all over that. Um, look at this, whoever believes in the Son of God has, has eternal life. Okay, and here your faith, the only proponents say, well, there you go, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and you have eternal life, right? Okay, fine. Look at the next phrase. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Now, which is it? Are these two separate things? Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life, and then the then then John turns it around and says, "Whoever does not obey the Son of God shall not have life, or not see life." Are those two separate things? Those are not two separate things. Faith and obedience are the same thing. They're not two separate things. God does not have this dichotomy between faith and works. It's just that what matters is where does that where does that obedience come from? That obedience comes from faith. That's why Paul refers to it in the book of Romans as the obedience of faith. If you do not obey God, you do not have faith in God. That's the biblical perspective. It is not faith plus works. It is simply true faith. And true faith obeys God. That that's that's the there, there's no there's no dichotomy there. That there's no incongruity between faith and works. They are essentially the same thing. You need to believe in the Son of God to have eternal life. You need to obey the Son of God to see life. John three thirty six. That's not two separate things. That's the same thing. Okay, and that's the problem these people back here in Micah were having. They thought verses six and seven. Somehow, if they just did them well enough, did them in enough volume, did them with enough proficiency, that somehow they would end up being saved. And that finally God would be satiated by their, by their devotions. Wrong. Now, what they should have done is understand what the God requires of them is justice, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you know what you do when you walk humbly with your God? You come with him with burnt offerings of a year old. Why? Because he told you to. You bring him offerings of rams. Why? Because he told you to, and you're walking humbly with him. If you look at the law and say, you know, I don't think I want to do that today, guess what you're no longer doing? You're no longer walking humbly with him. That's not hard. This is not a hard concept. It's just that we have our doctrinal areas, territories that we want to defend, and, and that's what we do. There's no dichotomy here. So uh, to get back to your question, Mercy, um, is this global or is it personal? Yes. Yes. It's both. Okay. I hope I got somewhere in the concept of the area of your question. Sorry, I got up. 
sucks getting older. I have an itch right there on the bottom of my shoulder blade. It has been bugging me the whole show, and I, I've got to break down. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been killing me. It's been killing me, and I can't reach that spot. Pencil blade would just been long enough. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Jonathan asked, can we do a study on Revelation someday? We can. Um, Jonathan, we already did one. I don't think you were with us back then. My dad did a, not, not as long as we did with Romans, no. But my dad did a weekend seminar for us on on um, on Romans or on Revelation rather. Uh, it is in the file archive on our website. It's not on Facebook or YouTube. It is on our website. Uh, so just look for my dad's name, or just search for um, um, uh, Revelation, and you'll find it. Uh, so it's about ten hours of material. It's very good, uh, very very detailed for the ten hours ten hours in length that it is. Uh, but uh, you know, the kind of study you're talking about would probably be a longer one. Um, we can, I'll, 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 I will add it to the list. Um, you know, um, I don't speak a lot on the book of revelation as a general study because, um, I know somebody who knows the book so much better than I do. And it's my dad, um, uh, that there's, there's nobody drawing breath in this world right now that I would rather listen to on revelation than my dad. Um, I, I think he's got a better understanding of it than anybody I've ever read after. Uh, and one day, hopefully, he will finish that book before he leaves this world, because he's been working on that Revelation book for about 35 or 40 years. Uh, and he is just, it is such a a dear thing to him. He Well, it's two things. One, that book is very dear to him. It, it is, it would be the work of his lifetime. And two, um, my dad is a preacher. He's a local, located preacher. Um that has always been his passion and his heart is to, is to work in local churches. And he doesn't ever put away time in his schedule to do things outside of working for the church that he's a part of. Uh, he just, he's, the, he's not one of these guys that, you know, at the age of 32 starts writing books and has, you know, 25 books out by the time he's 50. That was never, that was never what my dad wanted to do. He wanted to preach in local churches. And so, um, Getting him to sit down and focus on a book is is, is challenging, but um, he needs to hurry up and finish it because he turns eighty three this year. And let's just leave it at that. Your, your time time is drawing shorter. So, um, then he says, please explain: Is there a difference between sinning against God and sinning against your brother? Brother, the passage you have in mind is uh, Luke seventeen, uh, verse two. Um, which says um, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast in the sea than that he should cause uh, one of these little ones to sin. Then verse three, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins against him, re rebuke him and so on. Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, what, what you would mean by this, Denise, and maybe we can scroll down farther into the comment section. Um, um <sighs> I mean, it, it, it's possible, obviously, Denise, it's obviously possible to sin against God without sinning against your brother. Uh, there are sins that you would do that would would we go would go only to God, uh, that would, you know, that might not have anything to do with our relationships one with each other. Um, but it's not possible to sin to sin against your brother without sinning against God. So um I d I don't I may I might need a little more content on that. Um, than um, than 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 that, but um, 
that would be that would be my short answer. Um, I'm, 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 there's a 30 second delay between us, so I'm trying to stall here a little bit to see if you have any any any, any more detail on that comment. Um, obviously, the, the the passage here is going to be talking about the uh, uh, you know sinning against your brother and the the temptation. Temptations to sin are sure to come, and obviously, if you if you continue to read through Luke 17, uh, you're going to get into a period of time that deals with the coming of the kingdom, um, and uh, I think probably some probably some things dealing with the fall of Jerusalem in the, in the latter part of 17 uh, would be my guess. Um, and so there's there's tempt there are temptations coming, there, and part of those temptations are going to be some of the suffering that's about to fall upon. Uh, the early saints, you know, not long after the passing of Jesus. Um, and so here you would have at least a partial um, re reminder to when the, to, to remember that when those times come, that eh, might be a good idea to, you know, to, to, to address each other properly and, and to deal with sins against each other as well. Because if it's you that causes your brother to, uh, to fall away, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea. Uh, that would be better for you. Um, so it's a very serious thing when you sin against your brother. And if that's what you mean, is there a difference between in terms of severity versus sinning against your brother versus sinning against God? Maybe, maybe that could be the part of the fault there. Um, I suppose on some level, it's a higher <clears throat> a higher offense to sin against your God. But um, when you sin against your brother, you sin against God anyway. So in practical terms, I there's no way you can sin against your brother and not sin against God. Is it Joseph uh, that says, how could I do this great evil and sin against my God? Yeah, talking about Potiphar's wife. I believe that. I believe that's the account I'm thinking of. Um, um, you know, the sin wouldn't have, been, would have been directly against God. It would have been against Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Uh, that's where the sin would have been. But Joseph understood that this is ultimately a sin against God. And so, um, you know, if you sinned, if, if if it were only the case that you're sinning against your brother or sinning against God, I think it'd probably be a greater evil sin against God because God is not evil, and your brother on some level is, apart from God, of course. Um, so that would probably be a greater evil. But since you can't do one without doing the other, at least on the side of sinning against man, I don't I don't know that there would be a a practical distinction between the two. They both end you up in the same place. Um, and that's that's under the judgment uh, the judgment of God. Um, um, let's see what we've got here. Um, um, Christine says we are New Testament Christians. Why do people go back to the Old Testament? And that goes back, I'm assuming, to the first uh, hour of the question, um, or first question of the hour, rather. Excuse me. And that's exactly right, Christine. Uh, why do we do people go back to the Old Testament? Usually, when somebody goes back to the Old Testament to bring something forward, they got a point to make. They can't make their case out of the New Testament that simple. Can I make the case for you that we are commanded and so therefore authorized to sing as part of New Testament worship? Yes. Yes, I can. I can make that case for you. I can make that case very quickly for you. Singing, making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, 18, 19. I can make that case for you without any hesitation at all. So I don't need to go to the Old Testament to do it. Problem is that verse is too simple. And that verse does not authorize what they want. They would be so much happier. You know, let me, let me, the, the, the people that, particularly when it comes to the instrument of music, but in all other topics as well, 
everybody who, who, who wants to get the instrument in uses us, looks to us and says, and says to us, well, you're just proof texting. You're taking that verse out of context, right? That they, all those kind of argument, arguments to try and say that we have somehow become pharisaical or legalistic or, or, or rules-based or works-based or whatever, whatever it is, however they want to phrase it. Okay? I'll guarantee you, as sure as I'm sitting here, I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I know this as much as I, I know my name's Jonathan. If that verse that they, they flip over backwards to try and say, well, there's no way Ephesians 5 is talking about corporate worship. It's, he's, Paul's not trying to do that. If that verse said, sing and play on instruments, if that verse said that, they would proof text the fire out of that verse. They wouldn't care about context. They wouldn't care about anything. If that verse actually included the instrument, they'd be all over that like white on rice. That's what they'd be. The only reason, the only reason to go outside of that verse or the, verse, the collective verses there. To go outside of those kinds, the only reason to do that is because you're trying to squeeze something into those verses that isn't there. And since I can't get it squeezed in there, I'm going to attack the person who's making the argument. That person's a Pharisee, that person's a legalist, that person is a workspace salvation guy, that person, that person, that person. And then I'm, I'm going to try and destroy their credibility by calling them some kind of label, label, labeled name and then I'm going to try and divert the attention by going to a text in the Old Testament that has no bearing on the topic whatsoever. This is not about argumentation. It's never been about argumentation. I guarantee you, because they do it all the time on other stuff. The stuff they think they have a verse for, oh, they proof text the fire out of stuff. They proof text all the time. Okay? It's only proof texting. It's only proof texting. When somebody makes an argument I can't get around. It's only proof texting, okay? Their definition of proof, te proof texting is uh, uh, um, uh, when somebody uses a verse to make an argument that I can't answer. When that happens, they call it proof texting, okay? That's why. The reason, the reason they do what they do is because they cannot get what they want out of that passage out of that passage because it's not there. So that's, that's where I'm going to stop there because I could, I could rant for the rest of the program. Uh, Connie says, if, we're if you're going to say we need instruments because they did in the Old Testament, then you have to do the Old, Old, Old Testament sacri and, and a sacrifice or have all the Old Testament trappings. Exactly right. You can't you can't bring for through can't bring through one thing without being able to bring through the rest of. It. Um, 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 let's see if there's anything uh, more on that. Let me see. Um, 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 Scott says, Jay, would love to get your pr perspective on the stress, anguish, excitement that preachers and their families go through when leaving a work, <laughs> leaving a congregation for a new work. Um, it is, it is, let's, let's assume it, it, it's a, a good party. Okay. Um, you know, I've had both. 
I've had both where I, I parted with a congregation on not so good terms. I parted from a congregation that, um, or two congregations actually, where where I was, I think, on at least on my part, <laughs> I was on good terms with. Um, and it's 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 bittersweet as it is when you move from from anybody. Um, and um, yeah, um, and so and there's also excitement, and part of the challenge is, um, you know. Right, right. As you start to move away, you also start to get excited. You're starting. You you go to a new place and you start shopping for a new house. You start looking for a place to live. You're meeting all these new people, and um, you know it's almost like you're you're dating a your second girlfriend, your next girlfriend before you fully break up with the first girlfriend. It's it, it's it's odd. Uh, it's challenging from the preachers and the preacher's family perspective about it because you can't appear to be excited about the new work while you're still attending the old work um and and because so, you don't want to hurt feelings back over there so uh it it, it is a challenging uh time to navigate those because you really are not trying to to uh to, to hurt the feelings of 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 anybody that that you've been working there for, you know, maybe for several years now you're you're, you're honestly not you don't you, you don't you don't want to do that um uh but it's a necessary thing from time to time um the two greatest errors that in terms of career path in my opinion uh that preachers make is either they stay too short <clears throat> or they stay too long um you know a lot of guys fall in the category of staying too short they go into a work they stay three or four years um and some of them plan to by the way um I'm not going to tell you who, but I know somebody who essentially has a file of sermons. I, 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 well, this was back many years ago, but had a filing cabinet of sermons. And I don't, I don't know that he did it exactly this way, but basically he'd start on one side of the filing cabinet and work through until he got the other side of the filing cabinet. When he got to the other side of the when he got to the end of the filing cabinet, he moved. You know, <clears throat> I've got 500 sermons written here. And I preach a hundred sermons a year at this congregation. I can say I can spend five years here and essentially never have to write a new sermon. I've come across guys that maybe not okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not 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 entirely not entirely wrong. Um, or it's the case that they they move into a church and two, three, four years into it, they find out, well, this church isn't doing this right, church isn't doing that right. Um and so, uh, you know, I start calling people out or I start calling them false teachers or, or questioning their commitment to the Lord or whatever the case is. I start doing all kinds of crazy stuff and they get tired of me. I get tired of them and, and I move. And there are guys that bounce around from church to church to church, never creating any kind of value for themselves, never creating any kind of stability, never creating any kind of relationships. And uh, those are the guys that usually don't last in, 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 in the profession. Because it's just it's 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 too stressful to them, um, and those are guys that usually end up bad mouthing the church. It's not the church's fault, you know. I, again, I'll not, I'll not tell you who, but I know a um, uh, a a fairly prominent preacher um, who has been fired from his well, the the fired from his fired from three works in a row, um, and then left the fourth work after about three years. Okay, at some point, 
at some point. It's not the church. I mean, I've been fired from work. Most good preachers I know, maybe my most, maybe two, but a very goodly number of good gospel preachers that I know have been asked to leave or fired from at least one work. I have, my dad has. My uncle Jerry was at some point. Uh, it just happens, okay. And and sometimes if you're just you're preaching the word of God, the people actually don't like it. So it happens. What if it happens twice in a row, three times in a row, something like that? At some point, you start to have to ask the question: Is it them? <laughs> is it they? Or is it me? Or is it I? But who is it? Who's the problem here? It might it might be their part pro- problem. It might be their problem, but it might also be mine. So at some point, you got to look inwardly. Now, the second biggest mistake a guy can make is to stay too long. Believe it or not, believe it or not, y'all may not realize this yet, but my insights about the Bible are not limitless. Shocking, right? There's a limit to what I can say to you about the Bible or ways that I can say things to you about the Bible. And it's challenging. It's challenging as a preacher to uh, continue to be fresh, continue to grow, um, just doing this at the same in the same pulpit at the same time, and so on. Now, there are some guys like my uncle Jerry who can stay at a place for fifty years, um, but my uncle Jerry was also very good about making sure he had other experiences. Uh, I think he was probably in his 60s, uh, mid-60s, I think, if I remember correctly, when he went back to school to get his doctorate. And I remember my, my, I remember my dad telling me about the conversation he had with Uncle Jerry about it, and he said, why? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's not like, it's not like he was ever going to use it. Uh, I mean, mo- most people, I don't think, knew Uncle Jerry had his doctorate. I, I don't think most people knew that. And his answer was very simple. I just want to keep my mind fresh. I just want to keep my mind fresh. So I went back to school and and, and had a, had another source of, of biblical stimulation to make him think about things that he hadn't thought about so that his sermon, his preaching would be different. It would change. It is very hard to stay fresh. Um after you've been at a church for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Because you know everything I know. You've heard every one of my stories. Okay, I, I can't I can't use an illustration that, that you haven't heard before. I've told you all the all the stories about me, me, me and Julie. I've told you all the silly things that I've done. Well, all the silly things that I'm going to say in public, I've told them all to you, right? And it's just, it's, and, and you've heard me talk about every portion of scripture. You know everything I believe about every point of doctrine that's going to come out. And there's just not much left for me to teach you. And so it's not, it's, it's sometimes it's, it hurts because the longer a guy's been there, the more, the more relationships you have and, and the, and the more deeply you feel the things, but you may wake up, you may wake up a year from now, two years from now and realize that's probably a good thing for both of us. Probably a good thing for both of us. So it's tough, man. Um, uh, families, oh, it's really hard on families. Um, particularly that, that they have children involved. Um, you know, I, I, let's just say my children, um, were not always the most amicable when we went on tryouts to different places. Um, because they didn't have a lot of say in the matter. 
just didn't. I mean, we listened to them, of course, but if I got to do what I got to do, I got to do it. Um, but yeah, that means picking up family and picking up kids and 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 and, and going to a um, you know going going to a different state, perhaps. That that's the hard thing about when you're a preacher is um, very likely if you're changing jobs, you're, you're you're not staying in the same city. It's very rare that you change jobs within the same city. So you're, you're picking your family up and they're losing all their friends and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a major, uh, factor, um, as to, um, as, as, as to it. But, um, uh, so anyway, I, I don't think it's anywhere you want to. There's a lot, lot that could be said, but, uh, it is a, it is a hard, uh, a hard time for a lot of people when that happens. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, where am I? Uh, going back to the faith only topic, uh, James two twenty four. That's the only place the, fr- the phrase faith alone or faith only is used in the Bible, and it says that it is not done by faith only. That's what James two twenty four says. Uh, Johnny, getting the website website link to to I could do that, but I can't do that while I'm on the air. Scott was in here earlier. Scott's usually pretty good about doing that. Um, um. Christine says, uh, if, if that verse said instruments, then everybody would have to play on the instruments. And that's exactly right. And it doesn't say it. But And that's exactly right, though. Sometimes they try to get the, the, the word solo to mean to pluck on the string. Uh, and therefore, that's the instrument. Okay, fine. The right answer to that, of course, is the, the, it's, the, the solo is being done in the heart. So it's the heart that's being plucked. So there's your instrument. But, um, but you're absolutely right. If, if, it, if, you know, if, if, if it authorized the use of singing, it would demand the use of singing. They'll try to come and say that's not true, but it is. That's the way that works. Um, Travis says, are there not eternal principles we can pull from the Old Testament? Exactly. Uh, for instance, it was abomination to God in the Old Testament. Would it not continue to be an abomination to God in the New Testament? Uh, Travis, check me on this. But I believe that the eating of pork is referred to as an abomination um, in the Old Testament. So if that is the case, and I believe the word abomination, I it's, it, it's on the left-hand page, right-hand column. The passage I'm thinking of, it's got to be in Leviticus, and it's on the left-hand page, right-hand column. That helps you. Okay, I do not have the reference anywhere near the top of my head, um, <clears throat> but I think that it is. And so, in in the, in the case of in that case, then that would not be not be the not be true. Um, if I'm right about that, which I could be wrong, that's entirely possible as well. Um, but um, certainly, there are eternal principles. There are eternal principles. Like with the past time we just been talking about Micah. He has, he has showed you a man what he's required of you. That 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 that's an eternal principle. All right. That's an that's certainly an eternal principle. Um, but specific legislation does not carry forward from one 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 covenant to another, or at least it does not necessarily carry forward from one covenant to another. Um so anyway, um Deborah says, um uh, imagine like any other job. It's sad you'll miss your friends, even though you even though you want to move. Exciting because you'll be new things and and that new things that you want to do. Exactly, it's exactly the same process, except that you know um, there is that element of spiritual family that even in the best of work environments in the secular world, you just it's not not exactly the same. Um, and you know, particularly when when you're you're a preacher, you may have counseled these people getting through a marital problem. You, you may have studied with them and helped them baptize their children. You may have buried their children, their parents or married their sons and daughters together. 
Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it, it, there, there's another layer there that gets it awfully close to family. Uh, and so it's just, it's a lot of stress on both sides of the aisle. Um, so uh, real quick here, James or J- Jim asked of uh, Babylon, first uh, Peter five thirteen. where is this Babylon being referred to? Uh, someone asked yesterday. Um, the um, uh, three, three views on it that I know, Jim, uh, one Babylon is Rome, two Babylon is Jerusalem, Three, Babylon is actually Babylon. Peter had traveled to Babylon. Uh, I reject the first one because I don't believe Babylon is Rome, uh, that people would take that from the book of Revelation. I believe the Babylon of Revelation is Jerusalem. Um, second one could be that that, that uh, Babylon is Jerusalem. Um, I don't think so. I don't. Could be, but I don't. Um, I, I don't know at this point that Peter would, Peter's writing in, for, in the book of First Peter, He's writing to a heavily Jewish audience. And I don't know that you're going to make anybody friends. I don't know that you're going to help the, you know, if you're writing to a Jewish audience, why would you not simply just call um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Why, why are you going to, you know, get people grumpy with you? So I think Babylon's probably just Babylon. Peter went east to teach the, teach the gospel to the east because they went to all the world. So somewhere, somewhere in the region, uh, east, east of Jerusalem would be my guess. Um, but I, I don't have a real strong opinion about it, Jim. I don't. Um, the one I'd be strongest about is that Babylon is not Rome because I, there's no reason to call Babylon Rome. Um, uh, and there's no indication, especially that earlier, but I, I don't know that there's any actual historical documentation that Peter ever went to Rome. Obviously the Catholics believe that he did because what they believe he is. But I, I don't know if, again, I could be wrong on that. If somebody's got the documentation where, you know, definitively that Peter was ever in Rome, feel free. Um, so anyway, um, we got time against right at nine o'clock. Is there anything else I need to get to, um, <laughs> Travis says no bacon abomination. Check it. <laughs> All right, man, do it. Um, so, um, let's see what we got here. Anyway, I think that gets us pretty well wrapped up. Thank you for the comments of participation. Y'all always make the first hour of this program, uh, such a good thing. Uh, and I'm going to stop here on time. We have the full hour to make sure we get into our uh, study of the um, 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 Book of Romans here in just the second hour. So sit tight, and I will be back, uh, right back with you rather here in about, oh, three, four, five minutes, something like that.
Well, welcome back, everybody, to the uh, second hour of From the Deep End. Good to be here with you. Uh, for those who may have joined during the break or anything, of course, my name is Jonathan Jenkins, and we are here every um, Monday through Thursday from 8 to 10. And in the 9 o'clock hour, it's 8 to 10 Eastern, that is, in the 9 o'clock hour, we have been doing a uh, textual study of the uh, Book of Romans. And if all goes well, we will conclude that study uh, this morning. So um, as I have been soliciting from you all over the last few, few uh, sessions together, I am still open for some uh, nominations of um, what you would like to study next. Got three or four things on the table um, and be glad to um, uh, consider just about any of them. I think people have mentioned uh, the book of Jude, um, which obviously would be a shorter study. We'd have to come back with something quickly after that. Uh, somebody mentioned the book of Ephesians. Um, somebody asked me about doing a, a series on the Holy Spirit, um, which, if you know me, that's like, that's like asking me to breathe. I mean, that, that's, that's like asking me to watch Alabama football. I, I can do that in my sleep. Um, but um, uh, somebody asked 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, which would be good. We now, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to do first, second, third John because we kind of just did it. Um, Brandon Blankenship did it uh, for us um, late summer, early fall last year. And I don't mind repeating a book uh, at this point because we've gotten several of them in. I would like a little more spacing between when he does it and then when somebody else does it. Just, just kind of see that as a little bit disrespectful. If you just did it on this platform and somebody else comes in right behind it, it almost looks like you know so which is not the case brandon did a great job on, the, on those books um uh travis there says galatians i'm conflicted I'm, I'm conflicted about both galatians and ephesians i love both books they're great studies my, ephesians i think i said the other day ephesians is probably me my favorite book in the in the in the new testament and um uh the reason i say that is if if, if i had if i had to have one book outside of, say, Acts of the Gospel Accounts, one of the epistles that I wanted to use to teach somebody the totality of the Christian life. What, what, well, the totality of what the Bible is about, what the New Testament is about, and then how to live the Christian life as a result of that. If I could just use one book to try and establish those thoughts into somebody's brain, um, I, I would do the, um, I, I would stay in the book of Ephesians. Um, that would be the one I pick because I just think it covers so many things so uh, so very well. Um, but it's also thematically very close to a lot of the things in Romans. And I feel like we'd be going back over the same 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 material again. Um, Galatians, that's that's awfully close to Romans. Um, um, so I, I don't know. Some, some people asking for whom the hermeneutics, the life of Christ. I've seen both of those. Uh, would love to do both of those studies. A um, little more challenging in terms of prep work for me. And like I said, I might be taking on a, a, a new work here in the next few weeks, couple of weeks. So I may not, I've had not thought about that. That might make, that might make Jude or something shorter like that uh, a better study because if my situation changes, Deborah Old Testament book. Y'all haven't asked for any, but I've actually been thinking a lot about Old Testament books because we don't do nearly as many of them here on Digital Bible Study. 
Uh, when I when guys volunteer to teach a class, it's almost always a New Testament book. Uh, I think we did Denny Petrillo did Ecclesiastes for us. Um, I think that's about it. I'm trying to think if we've done one. So maybe an Old Testament book. I wouldn't mind doing an Old Testament book. But um, um, anyway, I'll, I'll give us some thought and let y'all know tomorrow. I'll surprise you. We'll just start a study tomorrow. <laughs> I'll surprise you. But we do need to get into the book of Romans if I am going to finish it up today. Um, so let's turn our attention to uh, thank you for all the suggestions, by the way. And I will I will consider all of them. All right, let's turn our attention to Romans 16. Um, you're about to hear me say a lot throughout the next few verses. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because there are a lot of people here in this in this text that, frankly, we just don't know anything about. Um, there's almost nothing to, to be said about them other than they, they were members of the church at Rome, um, and Paul knew them and called them by name, okay? Because um, that, that's, for most of this list, uh, what we know about them is simply contained in whatever words Paul attaches to the green to describe them. And that's about all that we know. Um, but we do know at least some things about a few of them. So let's start going and deal with one of the questions that always comes up in the study of Romans chapter 16. And let's deal with Phoebe to begin. Phoebe is a sister in Christ, obviously, and she is a servant of the church at Sincrea. Um, Paul says, I commend to you, um, our sister Phoebe, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, uh, for she has been a patron of mine and of myself as as well. Okay. Um, Sincrea uh, is a city just right up the road. Do I have a tab pulled up on Sincrea? Um, I do not think I do. So let me pull one up here for you real fast. Um, Sincrea is, that is not the map I was wanting to pull up. Okay. Um, I thought that was a different map. There it is. Okay. I have to zoom in way far, but here's Corinth. Um, right there, just south of Athens, down in the southern Achaia. Um, and Corinth is set a little bit inland, and then Sincrea, if you, I still need to pull that up bigger, don't I? Sincrea is right there on the coast uh, beside um, beside um, Corinth. This thing is being exceedingly sluggish today. Um, but that, that's that's where it is is going to be found. Uh, it's just a port town just right up the road from, um, from Corinth. Uh, there it is. I was a little bit too far south. There it is. Um, right, right over there. From, so here's Corinth over here, and then there would have been Sincrea just to its east on the coast. So she might might very well have been known by the people in Corinth, um, and she was referred to as a servant of the church at Sincrea. Now, the word servant there uh, in, in, in the Greek is the word uh, for deacon. Uh, it's the word diakonos. Uh, and that has, of course, led people to... Um, to say, yep, Travis Paul shaved his head in Sincrea. That's absolutely right. Um, the um, uh, that that she was a, a a deaconess in the form of the uh, First Timothy three type deaconess. Uh, part of that is taken from the use of the term uh, or the, the inclusion of the term 
or of the of the sorry i'm getting my words here mixed up um the inclusion of verse 11 in first timothy chapter 3 let me just go there talking about the, the qualifications of deacons starts in verse 8 and then likewise their wives must be reverent not slanderers temperate faithful in all things and so on so likewise their wives okay um and typically uh People have taken their wives there to mean um, the uh, the wives of the deacons, and so these are qualifications for the wife for the wives of deacons. Okay, a um, couple of problems with that, at least uh, interesting notes about that. The word "wives" in the Greek um, is not the word for um, um, wife. It's just the word for woman. Usually, what you'll find is the why or, or the word uh, woman when talking about a wife is usually put in some kind of genitive saying that that the wife of a man or something of that nature, the possessive case. Um, here, if you look at the ESV, no, no, I'm just it's not the ESV. This is the New King James. I'm sorry, New King James. You'll notice that the word there is in italics. That means the preposition there is not in the original Greek text. In the original Greek text, what you have is likewise women, which leaves open the possibility that it's not talking about wives, that it's simply talking about a class of women who served the church. Okay? And so therefore referred to here as the women. The argument then is that Phoebe was one of those women who served the church and was so therefore a deaconess in the church with all the rights and responsibilities, privileges of being a deacon. That is used to then argue that the gender restrictions of women preachers and women shepherds, elders, pastors, is not applicable, okay? And that's that's what this is actually about. <clears throat> so let's examine that a little, for a moment. First of all, you would have to prove that the word wives means, or the word wives is woman, and that woman there is also deaconess. You'd have to prove that. Okay, that you can't just assert it. You have to you have to make the connection somehow. That that would be your responsibility to prove. Secondly, let's assume for a second that it's at least possible. Let's assume that you can do that. You would further have to to, to prove that simply because she is a deaconess, that none of the other restrictions that are placed upon the service of a woman, First Timothy two, First Corinthians fourteen, and so on no longer apply to her. Thirdly, you'd have to prove that just because she serves as a deaconess, that she then can also become an eldership or pastor teacher, so on, because Paul says, I will that men do this, and that the bishops should be the husband of one wife. See, once you, so what if you have proven what you think you've proven? You have, All you have proven by saying that Phoebe is a deaconess according, in, in the way of 1 Timothy 3.11, essentially all that you have proven is that there were women that served the church. 
guess what? Yeah, there were women that served the church. whoop de doo in terms of creating some kind of doctrine. Okay, they served the church. Let me ask you a question. Back here in Acts chapter 6, when the seven men are picked out to uh, to handle this problem with the, the, the distribution of the daily food, that they were handing out to the widows that were being neglected in the daily distribution. Who do you think did that? I mean, put, put your mind, put your brain back into the back into the first century. Okay. Frankly, put your mind into any church I've seen in any culture that I've ever been in, pretty much anywhere. And we're handing out food. We're cooking bread and handing it out to needy women. What do you think was happening there? Who do you think did all the legwork to make that happen? Have you been to a church? And I'm really struggling to see how the, the cultural thing, I just, this is, this is baked into humanity. Yeah, I know who did that. Okay. Um, when we have these widows that are truly widows, and she is going to be enrolled into the number to be cared for, um, who do you think cared for the widows? Who do you think actually did that? In fact, there are actually historical references. I don't I have them off the top of my head here. I didn't take the time to look them up this morning. But there are several historical references that talk about the, the, the what we would refer to maybe as the women's ministry. Guess who took care of a sick widow? Guess who went into her bedroom and helped her get dressed and helped her feed her and, and did all of those things that the church needed done for widows? Who do you think did that? The same people that do it today. Women do it today. They did it then. It's only appropriate that if you have a widow that 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 needs to be, you know, have a sponge bath given to her because she's elderly and feeble, that a woman do it. That, that's the way it's always, okay? All that being true, I'm not saying this is, by the way, let, let me hasten to add, I'm not saying that, that that this is the case. But would it be so strange to find out that there is a, a sentence, one sentence, in, in 1 Timothy 3 that might address the women and, and their ability to serve in those roles? See, I don't have a problem with that. If that's what that is, I, fine. Because that, that verse is not going to trump that verse is not going to 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 to, to uh, exert more authority over you know we already have it's in the same context. I do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's verse twelve of the preceding chapter. Paul didn't forget he said that when he got down here and said this. So even if this in verse eleven, if their wives actually means the women fine. The women still have to do this, 1 Timothy 2.12. That, that didn't just disappear. See, what proves too much proves too little. 
If, if that's what you're trying to prove, okay, fine. Now, now make the rest of your argument, because as we talked about kind of in the first hour, that's really, really what you're after. What you're after is not that there were women deacons. That's not what you want, because a deacon is just a servant, and a servant works under authority. They don't exercise authority. Okay? It's just that's the way a servant does. What you're really after, the thing that you really want, has to do with becoming an elder becoming a leader in the church, okay? And an overseer still has to be the husband of one wife. No woman will ever do that, cannot. What you really want is for her to become a preacher. You want her to be the preacher pastor up on the pulpit on Sunday to, to, make, so, to make it look like your churches are, are, are more in sync with modern sensitivities. That's what you want to do. That's really what you're after. And you're using 1 Timothy 3 as the gateway to it, okay? 1 Timothy 2.12 is still going to I'd permit not a woman to teach. Even if you get this in verse 11, even if we, okay, let me just for the sake of argument say, definitively, that's talking about, that's that. What have you proven? Nothing. So that's, that's the confusion that deals with, uh, uh, with Phoebe. Was she a deacon in the church? Well, she was, where's Romans 16 here? There it is. She was a servant of the church at Sincrea. There is another thought here, that the word servant here is essentially messenger, deliverer, because it seems that Phoebe might be the one that is taking the letter of Romans to the church in Rome. She may have been the courier. And maybe, maybe Paul finished his pinning of the book of Romans either at Sincrea or that Phoebe was with him from when he sailed from Sincrea to begin his journey back to Jerusalem. At some point on the journey, she he finishes the letter and puts it in his her charge and sends her to Rome to take it back. And that's why he's commending her to them. That's entirely possible. In which case then, this is a very specific idea of her being a deaconess, of her being a servant. That would might be. So you got a lot, you got if you're trying to get where you're trying to go with with trying to expand the, the, the service of women in the churches, you got a lot of you got a lot of hurdles to cross. But anyway, that, that's a bit more time there than I uh, intended to, and Travis is already doubting that I'm going to finish the chapter today. Okay, we'll see. Uh verse th verse th verse three. Uh Prisca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, we know them, um, fellow workers in, in Christ. They risked their necks for my life, and not uh, and to whom not only I give thanks, but to all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Uh, we come across them in Corinth. Um, when Paul travels there, um, there's also, they, they are responsible for taking side Apollos a, 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 a and teaching in the way of truth more perfectly. But we do know as we're introduced to Aquila and Priscilla back there in Acts chapter 18, that is, uh, that they had ended up in Corinth because of the time the Jews had been expelled from Rome. So very possibly, uh, some of the people in the church at um, um, uh, Rome would have been familiar with them in their time back when they used to live in Rome. Another indication that maybe if you're going to earlier put an earlier date on the book of Romans, uh, that it is written either when Paul is still at Corinth or maybe shortly after he left there. 
Um, uh, greet also the church in their house. By the way, the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them. Um, they worked among the Gentiles, obviously, uh, teaching Apollos the way of truth more perfectly, helping establish the church or strength of the church there in, um, <coughs> in Corinth. Apparently, they had a church meeting in their home. Okay. Uh, greet my beloved. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, I practiced his name last night. Um, Epeanetus, who was the first convert in, in uh, Asia. Uh, new information here. Uh, Asia being the uh, western province of, of Asia Minor, uh, chief city of which would be Ephesus, uh, just right across the sea from Corinth in that area. Um, and maybe he had moved on to Rome and Paul is remembering him. Uh, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. There's Mary. I don't know anything about Mary. Andronicus and Junia, so a male name and a female name. Uh, they are my kinsmen. Now that's going to be said again about Herodian uh, down here in verse number 11. Uh, what relationship they sustained with Paul? Don't know. Um, probably not just a statement of, um, of kinship or kinship in, um, in Judaism because there are other Jews in this list as well. Um, but maybe actual family members of Paul. I don't know. Uh, they were fellow prisoners. So you know, Paul was imprisoned um, in Rome. Uh, he's about to be imprisoned probably as he gets in, into Jerusalem, depending on where you date things again. Uh, so um, he's been imprisoned uh, throughout his journeys in Philippi, uh, in the Tri-Cities there uh, briefly, at least uh, beaten in those cities. Um, so who, where and when, we don't know. Um, but um, they are apparently now uh, perhaps in Rome as well. They are also well known to the apostles and were in Christ before me, which is interesting to note. Uh, they are well known among the apostles, so maybe at some point they were down in Jerusalem, um, and they were early converts to Christianity, which is an interesting thought. Um, and Pliatus, uh, my beloved in the Lord, that's all we know about this individual as far as I know. Um, he had beloved in the Lord, had probably then served in some capacity with with, with Paul, and had, they had created that kind of um, um, connection with each other. Uh, Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved um, Stachus, again, fellow worker in Christ, and a beloved Stachus. So I get the connections there. I don't know them. Um, and so we have that. We have Apelles, who was approved in Christ. Uh, this is another one of those Bible characters. Again, don't know anything about this individual particularly, uh, but what a great summary, a sum, a summary of somebody's life. Uh, all that we know about this individual um, is that he is a... Uh, um, approved in Christ. Uh, we have um, the family of Aristobulus um, that we have uh, here. Um, I want to bring this one up right here. Uh, it's too small for y'all to read it. Uh, the, the, the Bible dictionary I have attached to, to this particular uh, translation says that uh, a tradition exists that says that our, uh, Aristobulus was Barnabas's brother and now was a, and later became a missionary to Britain. That's church tradition about this about this family. There you go. That's what I know. Uh, greet my kinsman Herodian. We just mentioned that earlier. Another kinsman of Paul. Um, greet those in the Lord who are, belong to the family of Narcissus. Um, so another family that, that needed to be um, um, mentioned. Uh, greet those workers in the Lord. Uh, Tryphania and, and Tryphosa. 
um, to a couple of sisters there then probably um, in, in Christ, the beloved Persis, uh, uh, per- Persis who, ha- who was worked hard in the Lord. Um, interesting phraseology there, who was worked hard in the Lord. Um, I assume that's in, in, in conjunction with uh, Persis's will, but uh, um, there is Rufus who is chosen in the Lord and also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Um, and I think that is probably there somewhat metaphorical um, that Rufus's mother had had, had uh, um, brought Paul uh, in and, and and treated him uh, very well. And then a list of other names here in verse 14, Asyncritus, Olegion, Hermes, uh, Petropus, uh, Hermes, and the brothers are who are with them. Uh, and then greet Philogius, uh, 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 Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. So all of these individuals. So let's just deal. I mean, obviously there are a couple of people in here we know some things about uh, that you can find other places in scripture, but the majority of these individuals, other than the description that Paul gives here, is just, um, uh, very. we know very little about them. Now, what is important to note here is, the, again, the things that Paul is saying about them and the fact that obviously Paul um, is is known or knows very many of the people that would be a part of the church there in Rome, which would be important. Uh, given the things that he has said, you know, back in chapter f- 15, he says, I've written a lot of things here boldly to you by way of remembrance. Uh, he has not been um, easy on the people right, he, that have been reading this book. Uh, he, he said some very, uh, very strong things, as he said boldly, and I've written them so that you can understand them and 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 definitively. I mean, I'm not giving you space to believe something different than what I have, what I have believed. And so by doing what he is doing here, um, some of these names are Grecian, some of them are Jewish, good mix of men and women, um, uh, people that have, uh, that he acknowledges their service, he acknowledges their faithfulness to the Lord. He's, he's building those connections as, as we close the book. And genuinely, uh, Paul, uh, for being you know, for being such a, an intellectual, Paul is also apparently very extroverted, which is kind of a weird combination. He, <coughs> excuse me, as you read through his life, um, he genuinely seems to really feel a lot for the people that he cares about, wants to be around them, wants them to do well, uh, and is very good at expressing those things to people. Um, and so while I think there is a, a, a necessary point here you, you've been hitting us pretty hard here for a while, Paul. Let's get me something here in the um, um, at the end of these things um, to um, to um, 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 make sure that 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 we're on good terms here. But I think a large part of this is these are people that Paul actually knew, and when he says they are my beloved, when he says that they have been worked hard in the Lord and they're approved by Jesus, these are workers in, in His kingdom. This. For, for the things that mattered in Paul's life, this, this is some very, very high praise. Uh, and it sounds like the church, church at Rome had a goodly number of, um, of, 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 of strong, uh, devoted saints within it. And, I, you know, it just occurred to me as I was sitting here talking, I've never really had the thought before, but I think this probably means we know more names of people in the church at Rome than we do any other first century church. I don't think there, there is there's, there's not another... I don't think there's another book that gives us this many names of people that belonged uh, in a particular church. Um, <clears throat> then verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
all the churches of Christ greet you. Um, some people have tried to use this passage to um, bind a certain form of greeting upon people or to suggest that those of us who believe in, in, in following the New Testament pattern and so on are not doing it. Um, I don't want to really get sidetracked because I'm trying to finish the book. And again, this is one of those topics that I don't think anybody who actually makes the argument actually believes this at all. Um, I think it's just an argument of convenience to try and diminish the force of other arguments made other places that nobody actually thinks that I just, I don't believe it. I don't buy it when I hear the argumentation on it, but um, the kiss in, 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 but we would consider to be Eastern cultures because that's where it begins. And then you move over into Rome eventually. But the kiss of that time would have been a very common form of greeting. Not the only form of greeting. They, they, Paul says at one point they extended unto me the right hand of fellowship, which would be exactly what we would do. Uh, is that Galatians 2, is it? I believe it is. Um, so it wasn't the only form of greeting. Sometimes they hugged each other. Uh, Acts, Acts 20 with the um, um, uh, Ephesian elders. That, that was there. Um, so there's all kinds of different forms of greeting. This is one. And so instead of binding a particular form of greeting upon people, what I believe he is doing is regulating the nature of it. Greet one another, and when you greet it, greet with a holy kiss. Okay, that kiss is to signify the holiness of the relationship, the, the sanctity of, of, of the, or the, the intimacy, maybe a better word, the intimacy of the fellowship that I've just been talking about for the last 15 verses. We're all in this together. We're brethren. We're fighting the good fight. Greet one another intimately. Greet one another with, with, with compassion and tenderness and make sure that that greeting is holy in, in all of its ways. Um, <laughs> I had a, uh, uh, this is not exactly the point of the verse, but I had a, an older preacher. I can't remember which one it was. One of my professors in one of the schools I went to said, um, uh, said, said to us one day, he says, guys, you want to know if it's a whole, how, 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 if, how, if your kiss is a holy kiss or not? said, if you're only kissing the young ones and the pretty ones, it's not holy. <laughs> so I've always remembered that because that's probably a pretty good take on the passage. Uh, but continue to greet one another. And that's the point. It's not about binding a particular form of a greeting upon us. It's about making sure that the tenderness of and the, and the intimacy of the fellowship that you have in Christ continues. You welcome each other um, and you greet one another. That's been the thought we've had all through this section. So... We then turn our attention to verse 17 in the last section of um, the, um, the, uh, uh, the passage. Uh, and we have really two things we need to talk about here. Uh, and Travis put in a super chat here that we'll get to in just a second about verse 17 and 18. Um, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught and avoid them. Um, he then gives a reason. For these persons do not serve the Lord. Okay, they serve their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the naive, uh, and so on. Right, that's who these individuals are. They're just flattering and they're trying to uh, to um, uh, turn your hearts away. Uh, and they do that. He says, first of all, to the naive. Um, they serve their own appetites. I think the King James says they serve their own bellies. Uh, they do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, they don't serve Jesus. They're out for their own good. Um, you know, sometimes we take that phrase over in First Timothy chapter six. Um, is it First Timothy six? I say it is, and then I want to make sure that I'm right. Um, Timothy six. Um, um, 
Um, where is the, um, man, I just, I, I have uh, thought I had, where is it where it says, um, there it is, here it is, um, uh, 1st Timothy 6, I'm looking, there it is, um, 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 we start up here. Um, where is the verse I'm looking for? Godliness with good content is great gain. For certainly we've written something we brought, 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 brought out. Okay, that's that love one is the root of all evil. That's the one I was looking for. Where is it? The Maybe I need the King James rendering of it because the ESV is messing me up here. Maybe the new King James would be close enough. That's what I've got pulled up. Got to be right here. Um, supposing that God... There it is. Thank you. Uh, verse five. I was man. I knew I was in the right text. I just couldn't find it. Um, ver verse five of First Timothy six. Unless useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that uh, godliness is a, is a means of gain. Uh, that's that's the verse I was looking for. Paul is talking there about um, men who believe that the um, the um, um, you know, old King James. That's that's what I was looking for. The old King James right into that passage. They suppose that gain is godliness. That's that that's the verse. That's the phrase I was looking for. It's in the King James. Must not be in the ESV. That's why I couldn't find it. I would say that's what you don't do after you start preaching is change Bible versions because that'll happen to you. Because <laughs> I had a phrase I was looking for in my brain, and it wasn't in the, it wasn't in the ESV. It wasn't in the New King James. Finally, I found it. It's in the Old King James. But there it is. Supposing that gain is godliness. It, this is in the context of, of the passage which then goes on to say that charge them that are rich in this world not to be high-minded and so on, and that the love of all money is the root of all forms of evil. Okay. What Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is not just people in general that are rich. Paul's talking about teachers. You, you read through all of 1 Timothy chapter 6 here, that's, that's what he is talking about. Uh, here are these diverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, teaching doctrine which is not according to godliness. He's proud, they're knowing nothing, doting about questions, strifes of words, whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings and so on. But then verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. He's telling Timothy to stay away from a form of teaching which seeks to enrich you, okay? And they supposed that gain is godliness. They thought they wanted to make it look like, you know, they, they, could, they, they believed they were doing God's work in this matter. Paul at verse 17 and 18 says, these people are serving their own bellies. These are not servants of Christ. They are simply out to enrich themselves by smooth talk and by flattery. Well, I don't think he just changed topics here. I don't think he just introduced a whole new brand of people because that idea of serving their own bellies, their own appetites, and the smooth talk and the flattery, go back and read 2 Corinthians 11 and that, the last two or three chapters of 2 Corinthians where Paul is denouncing the Judaizers and the super apostles, the chief apostles. You get the same language over there. It's talking about exactly the same thing, exactly the same material. So here are these individuals. They've been talking about throughout Romans, talks about through all his ministry. I believe he's talking about exactly exactly the same people. 
So he says to these individuals, you find them, they cause divisions, they create obstacles. And that all, those obstacles are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. What you need to do is to avoid them. Travis's question is, this verse has been used to sever ties with other congregations in the Lord, antis, liberals, legalists, etc. A couple of uh, brotherhood groups have been outspoken in marking. How far should this go? Um, I think I know at least one or two of the groups that you have in mind there, Travis, and I don't want to mention them here by name. I just don't really think that's beneficial to anything. Um, but you are right. This is a passage that people use to... Um, um, to do that. Now, what should be done here? Again, I don't know that the New Testament gives the full specificity that we that we need here to answer to answer your question. Um, you know, it's not like I can go to a book, chapter, and verse and say here. Um, you know, here, here, here's here are the limits that you're looking for. I don't know them. I don't know them. I do believe what you're what you're referencing here, where there are just some people who who I guess they scour blogs and church websites and, and YouTube channels or whatever and looking for somebody to say something that's false, that they believe it to be false, and as soon as they find it, they call them out and so on. That, that to, to some degree, happens, and it, that, I don't believe, is, is a healthy pros, you know, prospect at all. Um, now, I believe there is, and this is just Jonathan 101 here, uh, I do believe there is benefit in making sure that you do know what's being taught across the different the full, full spectrum of, of the, the, the the Lord's church and, and Christendom, quote unquote, more broadly. Um, because sooner or later, the thing that's being taught in the in the in the in a different religious group or, or across the state or across the country or even sometimes just across town, sooner or later that's going to impact your own members. And in and in a day of social media, when we can do things like this together, it's going to impact you perhaps more quickly than it did in ages gone by. I know when I first started preaching in the early 90s, even back then, which doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it's getting farther and farther in the rearview mirror. Um, but you still had regional things. You know, it, it used to be you could pretty well tell if if somebody's from Texas, they believe this about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If somebody's from Alabama, you know, if you're, if, you know, if, if you're from West Alabama, you came under the influence maybe of Franklin Camp, like I did. Okay, and and it was much more regional. Now, that has gone away some. The, 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 the ease of communication and the, the more um, uh, higher degree of travel and, and moving, from, moving from state to state, I think, has lessened those things some. But it was very much regional. And so you could tell, where, and, and things would pop up in Dallas or they'd pop up in Nashville before they started reaching, you know, inside Churches of Christ, they started reaching the rural congregations. And so having an eldership and preachers that were knowledgeable about what was going on was helpful. And so I think you ought to, uh, uh, to know those things. And having people, you know, raise the alarm every now and again, hey, this is actually happening. That's not a bad thing either. Um, you know, I think um, you know, uh, Global Music's book, Behold the Pattern, was a watershed moment inside Churches of Christ. And he called people out. He called them out by name. But what he did in that book, I think, was absolutely needed. Uh, because it, it opened up the eyes of a lot of brethren to what was happening all around us, and we weren't we weren't aware of it. Um, so that's a matter of discretion, a matter of judgment as to when it should and should not be done. Uh, but conceptually, is it proper to mark an entire congregation? 
Jesus says about the church, is it Sardis? Um, the church which has a name but is dead? I believe he says, even in Sardis, you have a few that have not uh, soiled your garments. So even in a place dead like Sardis, there are people that Jesus looks at and say, okay, within this church, here's an individual and here's an individual and here's an individual that's still faithful to me, even in a church that is dead. Okay, I think we have to allow for that possibility. That people who might be part of a church that are doing things that we just look at and say, I don't know how you, how you could be there. Maybe that person is still in that congregation fighting the good fight. Maybe they are. Okay. Um, and so the concept of marking a church and avoiding it is, is at least partially problematic. However, as I talk out of both sides of my mouth, let me turn around and say, um, I, I'm not going to tell you where I was, but I was affiliated with the church. Let me say it that way. That's, that's as general as I can say it without giving away too much. That had a split while I was there. Um, the split was over doctrinal matters. It was it was a straight, uh, well, uh, uh, um, progressive versus conservative break. Um, and the group that broke off very much wanted to go down that progressive route. Uh, the elders at the congregation where I was made a public statement about the group that broke away. And publicly, and they publicized it publicly. I don't particularly have a problem with that because they were they were organically, natively involved. And this verse does say that you watch for them. Other passages will talk about the concept of marking them. If there's a group out there that is doing it, then having somebody say that is not a bad thing. But it probably should be the church that was actually involved in it, not some church that's three states across the country that doesn't know anything really about what's going on in the ground there. It probably should be the purview of those who are actually involved in the process. So, Travis, to answer your question, I think the concept is, is valid. It doesn't matter if it's one person that needs to be marked or avoided or if it's 20. This principle still applies. It needs to be done at some point. But it's got to be, you know, the command here is to avoid them, okay? Um, if I live in central Florida and they're in Wyoming, okay, I'm already avoiding them. It's, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no contact here. So I'm guessing this is people that are within the church at Rome. And you deal with the people in the church at Rome. All right. So th that would be my thought. There, there's got to be some kind of ge geographical limit here. You actually have to be involved in the process of somebody causing divisions and creating obstacles. As I said, changes a little bit with modern technology. But you're just trying to make me not finish the book of chapter 16 today. I know why you did that. But anyway, good question. And I don't know that I have, have all the answers to it. Uh, but that, that's where I would go. A lot of discretion, a lot of judgment. And try to default to doing things that are involved, that are um, 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 uh, doing things that are necessary, things that you you have firsthand knowledge of, and so on. That 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 would be the best way to do it. Okay, verse nineteen. Then uh, your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want to make you. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, and to what is evil. 
is essentially what he's been doing. You're doing well. Uh, I do want to make you wise as to what's good and what's not good. And he just spent 15 and a half chapters doing that. Okay. And he, he then, he says, then here, this matters. That That's the takeaway. Maybe I didn't emphasize that enough. In verse 17, this matters. What I have just taught you matters. People that are teaching something contrary to what I've just been teaching, what you've been taught, the sound doctrine that you have been taught, they are not your friends. Right? Sometimes Christians have a hard time identifying friends from enemies. We don't. We want to be kind and nice, and I keep hearing seeing this word winsome floating around on social media these days. We want to be winsome toward one another. No, I mean, don't be grumpy for the sake of being grumpy. But when somebody tells me, when somebody identifies to me that they're an enemy, I need to recognize that. It's okay for a Christian to have enemies. And that's what these people are. And Paul says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. Not just half this equation. You want to navigate this properly. You're going to have to understand that even inside the church, there are things that are evil. And they need to be marked and avoided. You have to be clear about this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay, we've talked about that at some length. I don't want to rehash that material. I do think that's probably a, a, a reference back to, um, uh, uh, or reference looking forward to the events surrounding the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and some of the Revelation 12 and Daniel 7 stuff that we spent some, some good measure of time talking about as we went through Romans 8. Uh, and we re referenced this verse over there. So um, go back over there and, and see, see all of that, because I do think this word soon means exactly what it's how it's translated, soon. This is not some generalized statement about the judgment of God that comes in every generation. No, this is something very specific that's going to happen uh, in, in the, uh, probably then within the lifetime of the, uh, the people there in the church at Rome. Um, uh, Timothy, my fellow worker, he greets you. As do Lucius, Jason, Jason, and 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 Sospiter, my kinsman, uh, and then I, uh, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. All right. So Paul had a secretary, had somebody, he had a pinsman who wrote it. Obviously Timothy and uh, and some of those we know, uh, uh, but we had a we had actually somebody that wrote the letter for Paul. Um, Gaius is hosting at this point in time, and the whole church greets you. Uh, Erastus, the city treasurer. And our brother Cortus greets you as well. And so more, more names to glow out. So these are likely then the people that are around Paul as this letter is being penned. And uh, uh, write back to them in greeting him. So the close of the book is this. Uh, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of the Lord, or the preaching of Jesus Christ, uh, according to the revelation of the mystery. God is able to strengthen you. That strengthening is done according to my gospel. Why my gospel? Why, why, why make that um, um, a, 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 a personal pronoun as opposed to the, the, the definite article saying the gospel? Well, I, again, I don't think he's changed topics. And I, even, even here at the last, I think he's emphasizing one more time. There is a sound doctrine that you have been taught, verse 17, and there are those who are causing divisions and creating obstacles by teaching something different than that. And the gospel that I brought to you is the one that is able to strengthen you in the midst of this time when Satan will soon be crushed under your feet. So he is able to strengthen you according to the message that I preached. Implicit then in that, suggested in that at least, 
is that the gospel the other people are teaching is not able to strengthen you. The gospel that the other people are teaching you, Romans chapter 8, is a futile doctrine. It causes divisions, causes division between Jew and Gentile, and that's the next phrase. But it also uh, causes you, Romans chapter 7, not to be strong in your service of God, but to feel like you are under uh, continual condemnation. So it is my gospel that you need to be following, not the gospel of those other people that are among you. Okay? And by the way, they would have been among them. Uh, don't, let's, not, let's not look over, overlook that to go back to Travis's question up here in verse 17. Let's not overlook that. Um, when, when they were reading this letter, I've made this point several times in this study, when they were reading this letter, um, uh, they would have been very clearly aware that there are those who are causing trouble among them were still among them. I, I have had the thought, and I, there's no way I could prove this one way or another, but you get here to verse 3, and you go down through verse 15, 16, there's a whole list there. And here's here's the point I can't I can't I can't prove excuse me here's the point I can't prove but I wonder just again Jonathan 101 just speculating in my own mind here is this a roster of the people that Paul trusts inside the church of Rome is this his way of identifying or helping for them to identify Who's in which camp? Because there are people that are causing divisions among them. Are any of those people causing divisions among in this list? See, this could be a very, well, maybe not so subtle way of helping people to identify the people you can trust in the church at Rome and the people that you can't. I can't prove that. I, that there's no way until we get to heaven I, we'd have any idea if that thought is possibly in the mind of Paul. But it is interesting to be, you go straight from that to this discussion here in verse 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions. I'm guessing the people of the Verses 1 through 16 don't cause divisions because Paul greets them every one. Now, is that list comprehensive or exhaustive? I don't know. I don't even know if my thoughts are right. That, that, might not, that might not have entered in the mind of Paul at all as he wrote those, as he put that list of names together. I think it's possible, though. Anyway, he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And so we end the book where we began. Jew and Gentile joined together in one body according to the revelation of the mystery and the, that was kept secret for long ages. All that time we spent in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it was in the mind of God, never, never entered the heart of, my, heart of man what God had prepared. Now we speak this hidden wisdom as it is now revealed by the holy apostles and the prophets. It has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Okay, It has been disclosed through the prophetic writings. Um, interesting phrase there to me, at least. Um, what prophetic writings is he referencing? 
still fairly early, still fairly early in the compilation of the New Testament. Um, I wonder if this is not just a statement back that now that we have the understanding of what the prophecies of Daniel and other places mean, that the, the prophetic writings actually have within them what God was planning to do. It's just they were hidden in the prophecy. Or I suppose it is possible he's writing about books like oh Romans. That's possible as well. But I just I don't I don't know the answer to that. I just that's an interesting phrase to be found here. Uh, that what you know? Let me say it this way. I think. The way, the way that he says that makes me think that the people at Rome had access to those prophetic writings so that they could go verify that what they had been taught was true because it, the, the revelation has been disclosed by the writings. The most likely thing they would have had, obviously, would have been the Old Testament scrolls. Uh, certainly somewhere in Rome you had a copy of them. So, um, but did they have other prophetic writings of New Testament writers at this point? Don't, but there's a phrase that caught my eye or catches my eye as I read through it. Uh, it has been made known to all nations. That's a strong statement. Uh, Matthew 24, this, this witness, this gospel shall be preached among all nations as a witness. Um, Colossians chapter 1 says very much the same thing. But according to Paul, the revelation of this mystery has been made known to all nations by AD 60. That's, that's a strong statement right there. Um. According to the command of the eternal God, which, of course, that was exactly what was to be done. Uh, we see that we, obviously the Great Commission would be a part of that. The, the, the statements of Matthew 24 just referenced about this, this gospel being preached as a witness. That would be a part of it. Uh, the concept that I'll send unto you wise men and prophets and scribes, Matthew 23, that would be a part of it. Always a part of the plan of God that these, 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 this, this message would be preached among all the nations. And we end the book exactly where we start. I have been given grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for all nations. That's what the book of Romans is about. What does it mean to have the obedience of faith? We have to understand that, though, within the first century context as we wrap up this study. There were two options on the table. As we have said over and over again, there were two options on the table. There was the obedience of faith, and there was the obedience of works. The obedience of faith taught by Paul, taught by the gospel. The obedience of works was taught by the Pharisaical Judaizers. One focused the, the, the Reformation on the uh, one focused on the Reformation of the outer man. One focused on the transformation of the inner man. It is the transformation of the inner man that results in the obedience of faith. It's the only path, the only successful path, available to serving God that we have. We have to us. That's what Paul is talking about. And he looks at what he has been doing through his ministry back in chapter 15. He talks about how he had magnified that ministry and so on. Um, and he says, that which has been hidden is now been preached among all nations to bring about this obedience of the faith. The only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And that is the place in which God is ultimately glorified. His wisdom is validated, Ephesians chapter 3, that through this mystery, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the completion of the mystery. Following the book of Romans is the path for that, for that, for that mystery to reach its fullness, and it has. And we stand and we live here in the benefit and the fruit of it.
Um, we could say so much more. Um, and we could. We maybe and maybe we should, but we're going to stop there. Romans chapter 16. I have so thoroughly enjoyed this study of the book of Romans. Uh can't believe we are actually done. That is that is amazing. Um I do hope you have uh, benefited uh, uh, from it. Um and we could um um uh, uh rejoice together in the, in this study. But um um anyway, I've got any any last questions before we wrap up this study? Just see what we got here. Uh, Travis was the last one I had. Um, see, part of my problem is sometimes you put these questions in and I don't get to them for several minutes and then I don't remember what I was saying and I read it and I can't, I don't know what, <laughs> what I was supposed to, uh, uh, I was supposed to answer it. Christine asked, what keeps us from obeying the Lord's command to mark and avoid wicked, wicked brethren? Um, interesting question. Some of it, I think, is just... Um, misunderstanding of what that actually of what of what it of what it actually means to be a faithful uh, to be a christian because it's it's mean it's confrontational and i think sometimes we just don't like being confrontational and i think that's really what it is uh and if if you call somebody out for teaching false doctrine on matter or something you are you know not being kind and 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 that's not i think that's a lot of it it's a it's a different uh, set of values that we have than what God has, because He's the one that wrote the words. He said, "Do it." So it's obviously something He wants done, and I think we're hesitant to do it because we have this conception of we have a wrong conception of what God is or who God is, and so I think that leads us to do things that are uh, um, not always consistent with the text. Um, Travis mentions the Book of Zechariah; that would be a good one to study. I'll put that on the list as well. I just see a lot of good thanks coming in here, and let me say you're welcome to each one of you. And again, I have enjoyed this study, uh, and we're going to wrap it up with a bow right now and just give God praise for this great, wonderful book. And hopefully we have um, handled it in a way that is respectful to the text, even if there might be points along the way where we have not been 100% right. That's always possible. At least we can try uh, to be respectful to the text each time we approach it. And I trust you have found that to be true in this study. I'll stop. Tonight we have Ben Phillips on with us for the Connect meeting at 7 o'clock. Look forward to being back with you at that time. So um, until then, go out and make your day a great one for God, and we will see you back here tonight.